0: Well, I think the uniforms up here and the sports means it's officially fall. Maybe not officially the fall season, but when the fall semester starts and we have games on Fridays, when football players are out there, when the cheerleaders are on the sideline and the band does their halftime show, it just symbolizes a new season is among us. And in addition to those sports, we have wrestlers, we have dancers, we have swimmers, we have all sorts of sports that have started up in this time. And I'm curious, how many of you were athletes, in addition to people who are athletes now, when you were in school? Yeah, lots of us were athletes. I wonder if you remember how it felt the first time you put on your uniform or jersey. It's kind of cool because these jerseys, not only do they unify us and symbolize that we're a part of this bigger team, and not only do they look classy and they look good, but they all serve a specific purpose. You know, I think about football players and all the things that they put on before they go out to play a game. They have to put on a helmet with the faceplate, the mouth guard, the pads, the jersey, the cleats. There's all sorts of things they put on, and they don't just put them on because it's what you do, it's for protection, it's to prepare them for getting hit and tackled throughout the game. These are important and necessary tools that they put on as a part of their uniform to play in the game of football. You know, I think about volleyball players and how they have to wear something that's stretchy so they can move around a lot. They wear the knee pads, they wear special shoes. Cheerleaders have special shoes and they have the uniform they wear where again, they can move and dance and be on the sideline. All of these things are more than just unifying us as a team, but they serve a specific purpose to protect us and help us as we continue with our team or competition. In our scripture today, Paul is telling the church in Ephesians about a uniform that they are to put on as the body of Christ. And it's the same uniform that we are encouraged to put on every day, every day when we wake up. In the original context, the Ephesians likely lived somewhere in Asia Minor during the first two centuries, and they were a religious minority at the time. Christianity was illegal until 313, And so we know that they were facing persecution for following Christ, following this countercultural leader who is telling them that in the face of violence and in the face of persecution, not to fight back, but to turn the other cheek, to pray for them, to love them. So again, we don't know exactly what we are facing, but it's clear that Paul is trying to encourage them to keep on the course, to keep following Christ, even when it is difficult You know, at the beginning of Ephesians, Paul tells us of God's great power in which a cosmic victory over every rule, authority, and power, and dominion was won through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So when Jesus died and rose again, he defeated death and all the forces of darkness forevermore. And so we share in that victory as people who follow Christ, and yet while we're here on earth, while we're not in the kingdom of God in its entirety yet, we still experience evil and forces of darkness here on earth. And so in this letter, Paul is writing to this church who is being persecuted for their faith, who is up against the Roman Empire, who turns to battling and violence and evil. He gives them some advice. And the first is he's telling them how to continue following after the example of Christ, even in the face of persecution. And second, he tells them how to prepare and respond when they do encounter evil in their lifetime. And we don't really like to talk about these cosmic powers of darkness and evil. You know, in the Methodist Church, we're all about grace. We like to talk about the goodness of God and the grace of God, and that is valuable and wonderful. And it's even sweeter when we realize what God has defeated. In our baptismal vows in the Methodist Church, we acknowledge that there is a different force on this earth. We ask everyone who is being baptized or the parents of a child being baptized these two questions. We say, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? The correct answer is yes, I do. Then we ask, do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist Evil, oppression, and injustice, in whatever forms, it presents itself. And again, we say, I do. These are powerful confessions that a person makes before they are baptized, before they put on Christ in this new way and become a child of God. In these statements, a person also acknowledges, though, that they must be active in resisting and renouncing the evil which does still exist in our world. This evil can manifest in many ways. From the really big systemic ways, like racism or classism or any other ism that seeks to separate us from one another, we know about those. Then there are the more personal things, like a deep desire for wealth or fame or status that supersedes our desire to love God and to love our neighbor. But there's another type of evil that's really subtle And really sneaky and this is the type that I think we have seen most prevalent in our world in our society in the last I don't know 18 months or so this is the type of evil that comes in when you are exhausted when you are uncertain of the future when you are afraid when you are frustrated this is this type of evil that sneaks in and whispers lies about your faith or your life The lies may sound like, maybe God isn't so powerful after all. Or, I wonder if God can actually save you. Do you actually have any reason to hope anymore in the midst of this darkness? This type of evil is subtle, but it is powerful if we believe those lies. But the good news for those of us who follow Christ is that no matter the situation, We don't have to rely on our own strength or power or anything about ourselves to oppose these forces of evil, to turn away from these lies, and to point ourselves towards what we know to be the truth. Because in this passage, it says that Christians are called to stand strong in the strength of God's power. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul is intending to prepare to fortify and to motivate the Ephesians and Christians in the future to face uncertainty with courage and boldness. Listen again to what Paul says at the beginning of this passage. He says, "...to put on the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. In many ways, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20 wrap up the whole book of Ephesians, in which Paul says that Christians are called to suit up, to put on this armor so that they can resist the things that oppose God on earth. Paul tells us exactly what to wear, metaphorically of course, but he uses the, um, he describes it as an armor because he knows that people would know what a person looked like going into battle wearing this armor. So I want you to pay attention not only to what the actual things would do if you were going into a actual physical battle, but also notice what each item represents. For example, Paul tells us to put on a belt But not just any old belt that cinches our pants together, this is a belt of truth. And I like to think about it like a tool belt. So we think about this belt that's around our core, that's within our arm's reach at all times, and you think about what things do you know to be true about God? That God is good, that God is powerful, that God is constant, that God will not abandon us. Put those in your tool belt so that you can pull them out when you face evil in this life, when those lies start to sneak in. What do you want in your tool belt of truth? Next, we're told to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness is all about being in right standing in a relationship. So when we have this breastplate that covers our most vital organs, we can remember that our relationships with God and with others matter it matters how we live it matters that we are righteous in those relationships then we're told to put on our shoes everyone needs shoes we all have a variety of shoes and Paul even says you have an option here put on whatever type of shoes will help you proclaim the gospel of peace so these are not your house shoes that you're going to sit around in and kick your feet up to relax These are shoes that are meant for an active participation in proclaiming the good news of God's peace. So we got to put on those shoes. Next, we're told to bring along a shield of faith, to hold on to and to hold out when evil and dark forces are among us. The Lord knows when the rains come, when the storms come, we do need something to grasp onto. So Paul says to think about it like a shield, That you can grasp onto as if your whole life depended on it on our head we place a helmet of salvation this is the highest most important thing that we have going on top of our head protecting us when we come against all sorts of things in this world you think again about a football player the helmet it is crucial protecting your head in these games so we put a helmet of salvation reminding us that we are protected in this life and in the life to come. And lastly, we are called to bring a sword. But this sword is not about taking life away, but about giving life meaning. This is the sword of the spirit of the very word of God. So as we use this sword in the world, we're not hurting people. This is not an onward Christian soldiers where we are battling against the other forces. We are using this to defend what we know to be true about God. And with all of this, we are dressed and ready. We are ready for whatever will come against us, but notice our posture in this armor. We are not on offense, but we are on defense. This passage tells us not, again, to go out into battle, but to stand firm in the strength of God's power. This call is for saints to stand firm and to resist any forces that oppose what they know to be true about God. This is why the armor of God is different than a sports uniform or jersey. You only get the sports uniform and jersey when you have put in some time, you've put in some effort, you have proved that you are ready for the team, that you are worthy of being on this sports team. I know this from a personal and painful experience. When I was in sixth grade, I showed up for school, it was towards the end of the school year, and my friends told me that they were going to Central Baldwin Middle School to try out for cheerleading that afternoon. And I thought to myself, well, I didn't even know this was happening, but I should probably go too and try out for cheerleading, even though I had never done it before. But all my friends were doing it, so I called my mom and I said, I'm gonna ride with some friends and I'm gonna go go try out for cheerleading today. So I get to the middle school, and I had taken dance growing up, so I thought surely it was similar. Um, Little did I expect the muscles I found when doing toe touches. I didn't understand how to be so stiff like you have to be as a cheerleader. It's not flowy like a dancer. My voice was not loud and proud when I said go bears. I was super timid about it, and I definitely could not do the required back handspring. And still I was surprised when my dad took me to see the list posted on the door the next night of the people who had made the squad. So my eyes looked, my heart was racing as I looked for my name on the list. And of course it wasn't there because I had done nothing to prepare to be on this team. I had not gone to cheer camps. I had not practiced. I had very little endurance for this sport, which is a sport I would like to say. But I'll tell you what I did do. Over the next year, I enrolled in a gym and I learned to tumble. I started running to build up my endurance. I learned to do a back handspring and the next year I did make the squad. And when I put on that uniform, I felt totally, I mean, just overwhelmed with how exciting it felt to know that I had earned it, that I had earned my spot, that I deserved to be on this team, that I had made it. But thanks be to God that the armor of God and that people being willing to stand firm is not dependent on our strength or our power. The armor of God just requires a person to be a willing vessel, a person who is willing to stand firm. It doesn't matter if you feel like you're good enough or strong enough or ready enough. God can work through any willing vessels. And remember, you have the belt, the breastplate, the shoes, the helmet, the shield, the sword, all of those things at your disposal, which are your resources and tools when you come against those forces of darkness and evil in this world. All we are called to do is to stand firm in the strength of God's power. I don't know what everyone here personally is up against today I don't know what darkness you feel is around you or what lies you've been hearing whispered to you. But my prayer is that we can all know who God is and to stand firm in that truth. If you come to a place where hope feels lost and you're not sure what to believe anymore, go back to your tool belt. Remember what you know to be true about God, about who you know God is. In closing, I would like to read an excerpt from a children's book that I borrowed from my friend August, who is three. The book is called, What Is God Like? And I think in it, it illustrates so beautifully the things that we know to be true about God. And I want you to listen to how these truths about God can make us stand firm with courage. What is God like? That's a very big question one that people from places all around the world have wondered about since the beginning of time. And while no one has seen all of God, we can know what God is like. God is like an eagle, sharp-eyed and swift, with wings so wide you can play under their shadows. God is like a river, constant and life-giving. When you grow near God, you'll sprout up as strong as a tree. God is like a fort, Strong and secure with walls that are mighty and safe, inside there are hidden places to hold you when you're scared or need a quiet place to rest. God is like the flame of a candle, warm and inviting. With God close by, you can look to the light and see through the darkest of nights. God is like the wind, passionate and full of mystery. God is both here and mysteriously also over there. God is everywhere, swirling throughout the world, whistling across mountain ranges, rustling through trees, and pressing against your cheeks on a breezy day. And because we know what God is like, we know that God is kind, God is forgiving, God is slow to get angry, God is quick to be glad, God is happy when you tell the truth, and sad when things are unfair. God is your protector. God is trustworthy, God is your friend when you feel alone. God hopes and God perseveres. Because God is good and constant and trustworthy and loving, we can stand firm against the evils and uncertainties of this life. May we boldly believe this, not only today, but each day of our lives. In the name of God, our creator, redeemer, and sustainer. Amen.